Hi, I'm Abby Thomas, and it's good to be back with you at the Jubilee Plus podcast. Today, I have a seminar from Andrew Wilson from King's Church in London, and it's called We Are Not World Changers. Well, hello. It's wonderful to be with you. Uh, If you don't know me, I'm Andrew Wilson. I'm the teaching pastor at King's Church London. And it's great to have a few minutes together to look at this theme. It's the one I was given. The title was We Are Not World Changers. It's like somebody knew me and went, that guy's not a world changer. He'll talk about that, which is entirely true, by the way. And I want to try and convince you in this little session we have together, not only that that's basically true, but that it's also really good news for almost all of us. For It should be a source of great encouragement, actually, that you and I as individuals don't have the mandate to go and change the world. Um, That actually God is changing the world and he is using his church, his people to do that. But he's not doing it by and large by saying you over there, you've got a mandate to go and change the world. That's not that's quite an individualistic and Western way of thinking about it. And it can end up setting us up not just for failure, but for disappointment, cynicism and other things as well. And or pride and arrogance, which is something that I've definitely (laughs) been afflicted with over the years as well. So what I want to do is to jump into, if you've got your Bible, Matthew chapter 13. And just read three verses from Matthew chapter 13, beginning at verse 33. And then I want to comment a bit about how Jesus sees the world being changed. Because, mark my words, the world, mark his words, the world will be changed by the kingdom of God. But it's not mainly going to happen through individuals having spectacular ministries that everyone goes, wow, that person's changed everything. Which is often, as evangelicals, how we tell the story. We have our our heroes, we have whoever it is for you William Wilberforce or Elizabeth Fry, it could be, I mean, there's many, many, and, and many of them, great men and women. But actually behind it, there are tens of thousands of people you've never heard of whose contribution may have been even more significant, but you just don't know who they are and neither do I. And that reflects a more biblical vision of the way that the whole people of God are called to serve. But let's read Matthew 13. I'm going to begin at verse 33. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and hid in about 30 kilograms of flour until it worked through all the dough. All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I'll open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. This is the word of God. So this is one of those parables that it's quite easy to skip over, particularly because of where it is. If you read Matthew 13, some of us know our Bibles well. Well, no, Matthew 13's got loads of kingdom parables, and this one's just short, it's a bit random, just hidden. What are you talking about? It's just dropped in the middle of this this chapter. And ironically, it's a, a story about how something very small and hidden transforms everything. And this parable is itself quite small and hidden. And there it is in the middle of Matthew 13. But most of us have read it, probably, if we've read our Bibles, been a Christian a while. But we may not really have wrestled with its implications very much. What on earth does it mean? The kingdom of heaven is like yeast. That's the fungus that you put into dough to help rise it into bread. It was like leaven, which is similar, but it's like the lump of already yeasty dough that you put into the lump. So the kingdom of heaven is like that. Wow, why? What's that mean? That a woman took... Jesus loves telling stories about women. Uh, I love this about him, that many ancient writers, in fact, nearly all ancient writers who have any literature handed down to us, they might put women into the story, but they don't tell stories that are primarily centered on women. They almost never do that. And Jesus does it all the time. In fact, sometimes it feels like he tells a story about a man and immediately offsets it by telling a story about a woman. But this woman is 
not a world changer. In fact, she's a picture of someone who almost does the opposite. She takes a bit of yeast and then it says, and she hid it in about 30 kilos of flour, which is a very odd word to use. You don't hide. I mean, you may have got into baking. I don't know. Uh, during lockdown, a lot of people got into bread making. A lot of any sourdough folk out there. Lots of people got into this. But you don't you don't generally think about yourself as looking around and go, oh, I better hide it so no one can see it's there. So just an odd phrase. So Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like a woman who took some yeast and hid it in this vast amount of flour until it worked through all the dough. So this tiny, unseen little thing that is so hidden that it's almost like she tried to make it as obscure as possible is nevertheless sitting there silently, steadily, leavening, yeasting, causing the whole batch of dough to rise until the point where the whole thing has risen. And therefore, Jesus is saying the kingdom of heaven is like this very, very small, obscure, hidden thing that gets put inside a much larger, like the kingdom looks tiny and the world looks massive, but the kingdom gets put into the world and gradually, without people even noticing that it has, just a little bit at a time, it spreads, spreads, gradually leavening the whole thing until it causes it to rise. It, it's silent, it's secret, it's obscure, it's slow, it's unnoticed. You wouldn't say of it, wow, that yeast is really changing that loaf. You wouldn't think of it as a world-changing metaphor. In fact, you'd think the opposite. You'd think this is a picture about something that is, it search, certainly is transforming the dough, but it's doing it in the least obvious, least conspicuous, least impressive, you might say, way possible. And I think that's great news for all of you and great news for me. I want to explain why I think that's true. So let me tell you why I think it's great news. The world we live in is obsessed with the new and the attention grabbing and the sudden and the spectacular. That's the way the world works. People are really excited about it. a big new thing. That's what gets clicks. That's how we get traffic. That's how we get likes or follows or engagement and ultimately money. It's that's how, that's how YouTube works. That's how Twitter works. That's how the platforms that you spend time online, Instagram, that's how they, they work. They're powered by the novelty. And in a world like that, perception matters more than reality. In a world where everyone's going, here's what I'm doing to change the world, then actually what matters is more the perception of what's being done than what is actually being done. Whether you are really making a difference matters a little bit less than whether you are seen to be making a difference. And we would all hope that that doesn't get into our hearts, but I think if we're honest with ourselves, we know that sometimes it does. Because the recognition and the affirmation and the desire to have what you're doing be seen and validated by your peers becomes sometimes even more important than the genuine reality of what we are doing on the people around us, on our neighbours, on the people in our communities or churches. And that's difficult. So we can prize this thing we said in public that has a very long reach to reach someone on the other side of the world can feel like a bigger deal than the interaction we had with an older older person in our church that really meant a lot to them. But in reality, this may have made much more difference and much more an expression of the kingdom than that, but it just wouldn't be perceived that way. And therefore we wouldn't perceive it that way. And so if what we, if the kingdom of God is like massive and spectacular and showy and Instagram-like, that's actually gonna skew us in favor of perception rather than reality. But if the kingdom of God is very silently, quietly, hidden, inside a massive lump of flour until a whole thing has been leavened. That's actually good news because it means that our attention will be focused 
as we line ourselves up with the kingdom of God and the king, our attention will be increasingly focused on what matters rather than what seems to matter. And you've probably all come across, I imagine many of us have, like stories of campaigns and, you know, particularly in the areas of poverty and social justice, which we're passionate about at, at this conference. But actually, we probably many of us know far more examples of this than I do, of a, a campaign that surged from nowhere, became a huge splash. Everyone was talking about it. But when people look around 10 years later, all that money, a lot of that money had been wasted. A lot of the people weren't there anymore. And the people who were there on the ground making a difference were the people who had been there long before it was fashionable and will be there long after it stopped being fashionable because they're motivated differently. They are, if you like, the yeast hidden inside the flower rather than the big dramatic YouTube sensation kind of people. And so the thing is that if what is matters more than what seems to be, which is the way of the kingdom, and if most of us are not going to be sensationally impressive, high achieving, beautiful, famous, rich, whatever, world changing people, then the ordinary, steady, hidden obscurity of the kingdom is great news for you and me. Because it means that the kingdom works more like in tune with the kind of people we are than in the kind of people we're not. If the kingdom is all about bang, here's the sort of massive world changing encounter. It's spectacular and apocalyptic and everyone writes about it. That would be bad news for most of us because most of us are not exceptional in that sense. Most of us are quite ordinary. We, we love God. We want to serve him, serve his people. We love our neighbours. We want to serve the poor. We want to care for people. We, but we've also got jobs and family responsibilities and our, our own insecurities and issues. And actually, those things limit our capacity to do massively impressive people will write books about me kind of things. And if the kingdom of God comes through those kinds of people, through those kinds of activities, this hidden, steady ordinariness, that's wonderful news for ordinary people, much of whose ministry is hidden, a bit obscure, sometimes a bit random, sometimes not very fashionable at all. People, in that sense, like you and me. The kingdom of God is like yeast, which a woman hid in 30 kilograms of flour until it had worked through all the dough. Not... The kingdom of God is like a social media account or a business that, or an app that blew up on its first day, got a billion hits, crashed the internet, and then sank without trace six months later. But instead, the kingdom of God is like benevolent fungus being hidden inside a bunch of flour and spreading so slowly that you can't even see it in patience and obscurity until the whole batch has risen. Now that's what happened historically. Jesus came like yeast, not like Instagram quiet, hidden, obscure. The rule of God gradually transformed the ancient world over hundreds of years. Same is true today. Kingdom of God has transformed my life gradually over three decades. It's transformed your life to the extent that it has over the length of time you've been a believer. It hasn't been a sudden explosion. In fact, some of us have experienced some periods of life where you feel like, I don't really know what God is doing through or in me right now. But when we look back over decades later, as those of us who are old enough to do that, which I am now, you look back and you say, wow, God has been in hidden ways that people would not notice were it not for this parable. God has been gradually transforming, leavening my life and the lives of those around me through me, through ordinary choices to just be kind to a marginalized person there, to strike up a conversation with someone from another culture there, to say something positive rather than negative about someone from who's a migrant or someone from another nation, to pray for five minutes here, to refuse to gossip there, to be open with someone about a secret struggle with sin 
over here. The, the kingdom of God works like that. It's mostly very, very ordinary. It's not dramatic, world-changing, epic stuff. It's often very, very ordinary, and that's very, very good news. You see, God loves ordinary life. God loves the, the little things. The, it was the snake in the garden who said, no, 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 this isn't enough. You want to be like, God, come on, lift your sights to something bigger. But actually, that wasn't what God said. God said, no, I've, I've made day, night, light, darkness, sun, moon, stars, grass, animals, hippos, puffins. I make those things and I think they're wonderful. And I want you to steward those things. And human beings egged on by the snake said, no, we don't want that. We want more. We want to aim higher. But God loves ordinary life. And the kingdom of God is like a delegate at the Jubilee Plus conference who got up this morning and wiped the gunk out of her eyes and got on the train or got in the car or whatever and headed down to Brighton and spent a bit of time thinking about the way in which they and their life could serve the purposes of God. Then they had to take a phone call in the middle of the day because one of their kids or one of their friends or one of their parents was struggling with something and they ex exercised care towards them and they interacted with people with courtesy and love and they prayed a bit and they spent some time meditating on scripture and then they got into bed at the end of the day feeling to be honest pretty tired having traveled a lot and thought a lot and then the next day they got up again and did something roughly similar all over again and the kingdom of God came through hidden things like that if that's true if the kingdom of God is like yeast not like Instagram if it's the kingdom of God is not the, not for the big world changes, but actually it's very gradually, subtly leavening the whole world as God's purposes spread out into it. Then that actually helps us in a bunch of ways. It's, I hope it's encouraging at a personal level because it might resonate with you and me, but it also might make sense of some of our failures, I think. It might say, oh, well, actually, I really hoped when I was, in my case, I guess, 21 to 30, some of that, in my 20s, I thought, I'm going to do that. I'm going to be, we used to sing that song when I was a teenager, you know, I'm going to be a history maker in this land. And I really, I really believed that. I really thought that's my role. I, we, we're there to pursue. It's actually quite a, it's a cheap shot, but it is quite a, a sort of privileged middle-class thing to say, isn't it? I'm going to, I've got the time to give to some great ideal that's going to make me change history. It's quite an arrogant thing to say. But it might be reassuring then to go, oh, that's not really how God has set the world up to be. God has actually said, no, I've got my, the church is the big deal. And the church is going to be the ones through whom my purposes come and the kingdom will spread, but it's not going to come through you or I being titanically world-changing individuals, by and large. There may be, of course, there may be somebody here who is called to be a, a Martin Luther King or a Mandela or a Churchill or whoever, whatever, whoever your person is, but the chances are it's not me and it's not you. And, that, and even if it were, Thinking about the kingdom this way will probably help us avoid arrogance if that is what we're called to do. And it helps us in other ways as well. It helps us avoid being distracted by exceptional things. Because exceptional moments and exceptional people are just that. They are exceptions. And we, it's, it's all too easy, isn't it, to see somebody being sort of raised up or a particularly impressive, whatever it might be, campaign, moment, and think that's what we're shooting for. We want things to be like that all the time. And that's just not how the Bible works. It's not how... The ordinary Christian life works at all. Our culture actually overvalues those things. We love unusual, freakish, exceptional things. That's what celebrities are. That's why we get into celebrities. We're like, wow, that person's unusually, freakishly beautiful, rich, articulate, whatever it might be, or unusually prepared to do moronic things to get on TV. That's how they want to pursue it. And then we can get our, have our, our vision of the Christian life shaped by that 
as if our call is to be world-changing, dramatic people like that. But actually, most of us, that that's only going to bring fears, bring a, 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 a frustration that our expectations have not been met and a sense of failure when those expectations are not met or perhaps burnout if they are. Advice we got given early on as a married couple um, um, from our friend Dave Holden, who will be known to many of you. He just he, We were just lamenting what we weren't able to get on with and weren't able to do and comparing ourselves with friends who were more gifted or able than we were. And he just said, oh, you can't compare yourself with freaks. It just really blessed us. You just can't compare yourself with freaks. You can't look at other people and think, I must be able to be as exceptional as that because those people are exceptions. That's great. Be released by it. And another way it helps us, it helps us practice contentment. In a capitalist consumerist society, there are a lot of corporations, and I don't despise them. I used to work consulting, I used to work in marketing and management consulting. So I, I've got nothing against corporations as such, but there is a strong financial incentive for many, if not all of those corporations to feed discontentment in some way with your life, because that's often why people buy stuff, because they feel like their life isn't complete without X. And actually, in that setting, you know, companies are terrified that people will do what Paul said, which is, I've basically learned the secret of being content in every, in, in every and any situation. That's a nightmare for the marketing department because people don't buy stuff when that happens. And actually, it's really important. Contentment is one of the best things in life. And almost all of the happiest people in the world are contented people. They are more aware of what they have than what they don't have because they're not comparing themselves with the world-changing, dramatic, spectacular, history-making life that they might have lived or that someone else is living. Instead, they say, God, you've given me a lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. I have a beautiful inheritance. You don't spend all your life waiting for the next big thing. And if the next big thing comes, you praise God for it. But in the meantime, you rejoice in the little things, the hidden yeast inside the flour slowly and gradually leavening the dough and it also helps you make good decisions if you have this kind of mentality because the you're, often we make bad decisions when we're motivated by one of spectacular things and we make much better decisions when we realize that most of the most important things in life happen very slowly over decades that's how marriages are built that's how children are discipled and trained it's how careers grow it's how ministries to serve the community flourish over the long haul not something big bang, not raises masses of funding, everyone's talking about it. Maybe that will happen. Most often it doesn't. Most often what happens is we bed in, hunker down, and are still there 10, 20 years later. And that's how God works in the world. That's how the kingdom comes. And if you know that God works that way, you will make better choices than if you put all your chips on one next big thing. The theologian Michael Horton, I love this remark, he says, you know, the next big thing is the return of Christ. Thanks, a lot of wisdom in there. Friends, God's kingdom is more like yeast than like YouTube or Instagram or whatever it is for you. The kingdom of God is like yeast, which a woman took and hid in 30 kilograms of flour until it had worked through all the dough. The kingdom of God does not mostly look like world-changing people doing epic world-changing things. It mostly looks slow, gradual, obscure, ordinary, and yet steady, certain, and in the end, complete transformation comes. Kingdom of God is for tortoises, by and large, more than hares. And I think that's wonderful because I'm a tortoise and my guess is if you're here, you are as well. That's how Jesus transforms your life. When you repent of your sins and you put your trust in him, 
He puts his spirit within you and he gradually yet certainly changes your heart, your hopes and your habits. That's how God changes the world. The world, like you and me, is full of, it's like dough. It's full of squidgy potential, but lacking in life. And the yeast is Christ and his kingdom, which he puts, hides inside it so that it spreads and multiplies and causes the whole loaf to rise. He's the treasure. We're the jars of clay. We're the vessels. He brings the power. We're the dough. He's the yeast. And he doesn't stop until his yeast has worked through all the dough and the entire loaf has come to rise. Every last thought and fragment of your day, every last person in your community, every last atom in the universe, yeasted, transformed, changed, risen. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the kingdom. We thank you for the hidden obscurity of much of it. We praise you for the big moments, Lord. We praise you that one day you are going to do the biggest thing imaginable and all sorrow and sighing and injustice will flee away. But until that day, we pray you would refresh and renew us with kingdom hope to persevere, to see the little transformations that are taking place all the time and to trust that the one who has caused us to rise will cause all things to rise through his son and the life that he gives. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Thanks so much to Andrew Wilson and you'll find lots more seminars from the Churches That Change Communities Conference 2023 on our podcast feed and do subscribe to get the new episodes as they're released over the coming days. Thanks so much for joining us.